Thanks, guys. That was fantastic. Yeah. Let's open our Bibles. Good morning. Revelation chapter 12. Um, I want to say thank you all for the feedback on my mustache this week. That's been terrific. I just couldn't do it. I know, strangely, that disappoints some of you, but even my wife liked it. That was a surprise, uh, but I felt creepy, so it's not, <laughs> I couldn't do it. Yep. Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 17. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and on its head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent, who was called the devil, and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He accuses them day and night before our God, and they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows His time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman who was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Let's pray together. Father, it is encouraging to sing and to know that we are almost home. Lord, we are weary. No matter what season it is or or what's going on in our life, it's just weary in this world. It's hard. 
It's fallen. It's broken. It's, it, it pushes back against us. Every time we want to do something good, Lord, just feels like there's opposition. And I pray for our people here today that you would encourage them to put one foot in front of the other, to do the next thing, leave all resultings, do the next thing, believing and knowing that they're almost home. You can drive that last hour after a long day when you know you're going to be home. So, Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would come and encourage us. And, Lord, specifically, I pray today for our kids, our young people, as we consider the war going on unseen, the war for their hearts and minds. I pray, Lord, you would protect them from the evil one. I pray that um, they would trust their mom and dad insofar as they are leading them to Jesus and parenting them according to the Bible. I pray they would see the evil in this world. They would see the deceptions and schemes of the evil one. They would not be unwise, but wise. And Lord, I pray that they would be comfortable being different. I pray that they would be comfortable being pilgrims and aliens and sojourners in this world. It's such a temptation to want to fit in. And we can't if we're going to be a Christian. And I pray that they would be and that they would be very comfortable being different. Because when we are more like you, Jesus, when we are more uh, living according to your word, we are more like the people in heaven. That is our family. That is our home. That, that is who we're meant to be like, not necessarily the people here. So I, I pray, Lord, for their lives, that, that you would be raising up a generation for whatever challenges that are coming. We don't know exactly what they are, um, but equipped and prepared and grounded in the word of God. We ask your blessing on this message and this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is the heart of Revelation, the heart of the book, the war between the dragon and the lamb. Um, if you're a Christian, this chapter is a summary of your victory. <laughs> it is. Uh, so let me just get this out of the way uh, off the jump to any of you who are are not with Jesus today, or you're not sure you're with Jesus today. The only way to conquer your sin, the only way to conquer your coming death, the only way to conquer judgment and wrath that is coming after your death, the only way to conquer the devil, your adversary, is faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. And you have to choose a side. You have chosen a side, one way or the other, let me just say, there's a reason you're here today. There's a reason you're listening. God brought you here. It didn't just happen. So don't waste the opportunity that he's given you. The time is short. Today is the day to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have not done that. Because there's a war going on for your soul. 
I know some of you are not right with God today. Get right with God. Get right with God. Don't play around. Believers, here's what I need you to know when it comes to the spiritual war we're waging every day. You are not on defense. You are on offense. Tracking with that? You're not on defense in this war. You're on offense. Now, let me go to Matthew 16, 18, and I want, I want to just feel your reaction to it, okay? Here it is. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay, when I read that, do you instinctively think we're on defense? Okay, we're going to hold the line. We're going to get a good defensive stance. Okay, I'm a basketball player. That's how I think. Okay, good defensive stance. We're gonna, if you're football, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm a lineman. I'm going to hold the line. We're on defense. Hell's coming at us. They're going to throw everything they can at us, and we've got to hold the line. That's what I tend to think when I read that passage. I tend to think like, yeah, we're on defense, okay? Hell, Satan, they're on offense. They're coming at us. I don't know why, but I've always read it that way, and that is not what that passage means. That is not what it means. We are on offense. I will build. That's an active verb. The gates of hell. Why do you put up gates? To keep people out. Hell is on defense. Satan is on defense. Can he keep the gospel from advancing into his territory? No. Jesus says he shall not stop him. Hell shall not, cannot overcome him. Jesus is always on offense. He's saying, by the power of my word and my spirit, I am building my church. By the power of the gospel, which is unstoppable, I am building my church, and I'm doing it in enemy territory. He is plundering Satan's house today. He is taking souls that belong to Satan in the, in the kingdom of darkness, and he is bringing them to the kingdom of light. He's plundering his house, opening the eyes of the blind, softening hardened hearts, raising the dead in Jesus Christ. And if you are in Christ today, you have won, you are winning, and you will win. You have won, you are winning, and you will win. Saints, we're not on defense, we're on offense. Because we're with Jesus. He's always on offense. He's always moving. He's never passive. He's never on his heels. The gospel is unstoppable. It's really the only unstoppable thing. When it meets the gates of hell, I don't care how high you build that wall. I don't care what you build it with. Jesus said, nope, can't stop me. But we don't think like that. We don't think like that. As I, as I look at the church, I don't think we think like that. From an earthly perspective, it feels like we're on defense. So we need a heavenly perspective. Thank you, book of Revelation. Praise God for a heavenly perspective. This is reality. Without it, we fear death, even though death is our victory. We fear tomorrow, even though tomorrow has been won. 
We fear the unknown, even though the unknown is God's best for us. Did you hear that? The unknown in your life, whatever it is, you don't know it. It's God's best for you if you're in Christ. Satan wants you to be anxious, fearful, passive. That's what he wants. Don't give him what he wants. When someone can't beat you, all they can do is intimidate you. I've been on enough playgrounds to know how that works. Okay, I've been on enough basketball courts to know how that works. All the guys who are talking trash, they're getting big. They're just, you know, okay, puffing their feathers. Like, okay, I, I know they're not very good. They're just trying to intimidate you. After the cross and resurrection, that's all Satan can do is try to intimidate you. He can't beat you. He just keeps losing. That's all he is, is a bully. So listen to me. If you get what this passage is saying, it will change everything in your life. That's not an overstatement. You won't be scared. You'll be courageous. You won't be fearful. You'll be confident. You won't be cynical, you'll be hopeful. And that's hard to be. Maybe in every age, but let's just say our age. It's easy to be cynical. This passage, this book, you should be hopeful. If you're in Jesus, if you love Jesus, you have won, you are winning, and you will win. Do you believe that? I hope you do. All Satan can do is intimidate you, and only if you let him. Only if you let him. Don't let him. Yes? Thank you. All right, let's get into the text. Three sections in the passage today. We're on earth, part one. I couldn't think of anything more clever, I'm sorry. We're on earth, part one, verse one through six. War in heaven, verse 7 through 12, and then war on earth, part 2, a different perspective on the same thing in verses 13 through 17. So I know it's a lot of words, but I'll, I'll tell you where we are as we go. And remember this, when you're reading Revelation, it's not strictly chronological. So the next thing you read is not necessarily the next thing that happens in history. You following me there? That's very important. It's simply the next thing that John sees. It's what does he see next? And we have to do some work to try to understand, okay, as best we can tell, now that we can tell precisely always, but when is that happening? Is that the same event that I just heard about but from, with a different angle? But you can't just read it all the way through like, oh, then this is the next thing that happens in history. Yes? Okay, War on Earth, part one. John gives us here a dreamlike summary of redemptive history. Verse 1, and a, great assign, and a great sign appeared in heaven. So we know this is a new series of visions. It's going to go through the next few chapters. And it's centered on this cosmic conflict between the dragon and the lamb, his beasts. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Now there are layers here. The woman is multiple things, I believe. Faithful Israel, the church, and Mary, the Virgin Mary. You have a lot of symbolism here. I can't go into all of it, but 
Uh, and when it comes to Israel, it's really drawing on Genesis 37, Joseph's dream that he has about his brothers, and they're going to bow down to him. And that seems to be Israel, okay, part of this, this idea of who, who represents the woman. Then we have the church because we have 12 stars, so that seems to indicate the church. And then very clearly, you just read the passage, it's like, okay, I think it feels like we're talking about Mary. I think it's all of them. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. So Messiah is coming. Through the line of God's people, promised to Eve, now fulfilled in Mary. That's why we have genealogies in the Bible. God is faithful. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. You're going to see this over and over again. Um, Satan trying to counterfeit what is rightfully God's. Satan trying to be God. He wants to be God. That's kind of his problem. And so, okay, seven heads, wisdom, ten horns, power, seven diadems, authority. It's all a weak imitation of our God. But that's what he's trying to do. His tail swept down a third of the stars in heaven and cast them to the earth. Now, some see this as Satan winning uh, over a third of the angels to his side before creation. That, that's his pre-creation. I think that's possible, but more likely I think it refers to the saints. Intense persecution of the heavenly stars, okay, believers, on earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. So Satan, is, he's just licking his chops. He, 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 he knows what's going on. He's waiting for the Messiah to be born. He's ready there. He's just ready to devour Jesus. But what had already happened when Jesus was born? Before, uh, I'm sorry, after he was born, what had already happened when Herod gave the order to kill all the, the male children under two? Remember that? Matthew chapter 2. God had told Joseph and Mary to take the baby to Egypt so that it would be fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I called my son, and they would come back, but they would miss this terrible thing that Herod did, that Satan was behind. So who's playing chess and who's playing checkers here? Can you guess? God's in charge, okay? From Satan's point of view, he's ready to devour the Messiah. God's like, oh, it's not going to happen. She gave birth to a male child. This is the incarnation. This is Jesus coming. Who is to rule, one is to, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God into his throne, resurrection and ascension. Satan loses. God wins. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. After the ascension, the church, spiritual children of the Messiah, enter a time of testing until his return. And God, like a tender mother, just notice that word, nourished. It's just a, it's just a motherly sense that he's taking care of you. He's taking care of you. He's providing for all your needs. He knows what you need. He's going to provide. That's war on earth, part one. War in heaven. 
War in heaven. John's perspective changes. We see the same battle, I believe, but the same moment in time from a different camera angle, a different perspective, from a heavenly perspective. You guys remember the big storm we had last year? You know, it's almost a year since that happened. Isn't that crazy? And one of the interesting things was talking to you guys, everybody had a little different perspective on that storm. Everybody saw it from a little bit of a different angle. I was standing at my window, and I felt like I was looking at Mordor out the window. And my wife is saying, come downstairs to the basement. I'm like, yeah, I think I'm going to listen to that in this case. Not before I grab some Cheez-Its, because you don't know how long you're going to be down there. You need snacks. You need snacks. So that was my perspective. Some of you are crazy. You just drove right through it. You're psychotic. You drove through the derecho, and you're like, oh, yeah, cows are drifting past. Barns are drifting past. You're sitting somewhere over the... You're just singing along, praying along as you go. Some of you pulled over under a bridge and just laid on the floor of your car and saw crazy stuff. Same storm. Different perspectives. It's important you understand that's what is happening with the Apostle John. God is giving him different perspectives often on the same thing. We're going to see that even more as the book unfolds. We get to the end, the vision of the end, the heavenly city coming down. Otherwise, it can be very confusing. Okay, I feel like we're kind of talking about the same thing, but are we? We have to be discerning. It's not easy, but that's what's happening. Verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Now, some would see this as referring to the original fall of Satan and demons before creation. And when you read it, I can understand, absolutely. That's kind of how I was taking it. I think that's possible, but it does seem more likely this is the war that took place at the crucifixion and the resurrection. And I get that largely from context. It seems like we're talking about salvation. It seems like we're talking about redemption. We're talking about the blood of the Lamb, uh, conquering through the blood of the Lamb, holding on to your testimony, throwing Satan out of heaven. Because there's no longer any place for him to accuse because Jesus has died for our sins. So that that seems more likely. Now, was there probably a battle before creation? Yeah. Uh, It seems like God doesn't tell us much about that. I think probably here we're talking about what was happening at this great redemptive moment of the cross and resurrection. I just want to pause for a minute. This is a beautiful aspect of the gospel. Satan can no longer accuse you. What does that mean? (laughs) It means when Jesus was on the cross, God considered all of your sin to belong to him as if he had done it. And he punished him for it. He received the wrath and condemnation. He became a curse for you. So that now, no charge, no accusation can ever stand. Even the ones you make against yourself. What can Satan charge you with? 
that hasn't already been charged on the cross? What can someone say to you that hasn't already been said on the cross? What can you do? What sin can you commit that hasn't already been dealt with at the cross? No one can bring a charge against God's elect that will stick, even you. And sometimes we're our own worst accusers, aren't we? The loops that play in our minds. Not with the gospel. It answers every charge. It answers every question. So I would just say to some of you, if do you feel the weight of guilt? Are you feeling tired of carrying that around? Accusation after accusation maybe coming from yourself? Lay it down. Lay it down. That's why Jesus came. He doesn't want you living like that. He doesn't want you living like that. And when we do, we, we really make a mockery of the cross. When we allow ourselves and give in to a sense of guilt and shame and I'm this, I'm that, I knew it, I know that's who I am. You say, it didn't matter what you did, Jesus. The cross didn't, it didn't do enough. I have to, I have to hurt myself. I have to whip myself. I have to accuse myself. Now, he's patient with us in that. He's gracious. But know what you're saying when you say that. You're saying the cross was not enough. Justice, no, it didn't happen. But the truth is, for your sin, he bled and died. Justice has been satisfied. It has. That's why he said it's finished. Verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Just a a cross-reference for you. Jesus in Luke 10 says that he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I think this is what he's talking about. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. You remember the, the devil in Job in the presence of God, having the conversation about Job. You remember in Zechariah 3, the devil talking to God about Joshua, the high priest who had the dirty clothes. He's, he's in God's presence. He, he's accusing because the cross had not happened yet. What are you going to do about their sin? How can you let it go? You can't let it go if you're holy, God, is what he's doing. Not anymore. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. Just notice that Satan keeps losing. He just keeps on losing. He loses at Jesus' birth. He loses at the cross and resurrection. He loses when you follow Jesus unto your death. He just loses. Every day. 
and he doesn't like to lose, he's angry about it. Some of you can relate. I've seen you play board games. You do not like to lose. You know who you are. Walk in the light. It's okay. It's safe out here. Just admit it. I, I love it when it's like a sweet old lady that gets mad when she loses. I don't know why I said she. They lose at Tenzi and the table's getting flipped over. And I feel your looks. I know I'm a little bit like that. Okay, I'm growing. I'm working on it. God is changing me. Most of the time it's just bluster. I don't really mean it. You know, I'm just yelling for fun. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. I need you to focus here. The only way a false accusation has any power in your life is if you believe it. The only way a false accusation has any power whatsoever in your life is if you believe it. The only way the devil gets any victory in your life is if he gets you to own something that's not true. Like God hasn't really forgiven all your sins, has he? Yes. How can he get any traction in your life? You have to believe it. Well, maybe he hasn't. Let me show you. If I accuse Debbie here of stealing my car, she knows that's not true. Right? Right? Okay. The only way that could get traction in her, in her life is if she started to question it. Like, well, maybe I did. I don't, I don't have a great memory. You know, what, what, what did I do yesterday? No, no, that's just hypothetical. It's just hypothetical. I'm not sure, did I? But if I, now, if I were to accuse her of, like, sabotaging the ceiling fan because she gets cold, that might stick a little bit. That charge might be, you know, hmm, maybe I did. Only if you let it stick, knowing that it's false, will it have any power in your life. This is the game Satan and his demons are playing. Accuse the people of God of things that aren't true and hope they believe it. Hope they swallow it. You know, hope they own it. Here's a few examples, I think, that play out in our lives. Number one, first accusation. There are many more, but I'm just going to pick out three. You can't understand the Bible. Some of you have been told by parents, siblings, other people, your own insecurity, you're not smart enough to get this. You can't handle it. It's too big a book. There are too many big words. It's too much theology. It's too complicated. And you believe it. And it's horse you know what. It's a load of crap. You can understand the Bible. Do not believe that lie. You need to start fighting. You have the gosh darn Holy Spirit. Do I need to tell you that? Start fighting. Get on offense. Get off your heels. 1 Corinthians 2.12 Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. That, in order that, why did God give us His Spirit? We might understand. The things freely given us by God. Now, what does understand mean? It means to know, to grasp the meaning of something. There it is. The Holy Spirit has been sent in your heart so that you can grasp, you can understand, you can know the things God has given you in the Bible. The Bible is for you. Now, what kind of sick God 
would speak to you in a language that you can't understand. He didn't. He put the cookies on the bottom shelf for you. That's what the Bible is. It's for you. Does it take effort? Yes, but what that is worth doing does not take effort. And there is nothing more worthy of your effort than understanding the Bible and knowing God more deeply. Yeah, it takes effort. But think about your kids. When they're learning how to read and they can't pronounce a big word, and they get stuck and they're like, oh, I can't do it. What do you say? Yeah, yeah, you can't. Yeah, well, I guess you're not going to be able to read. Said no, parent. Oh, it's like we work at it. Let's sound out the word. Okay, let's, let's, let's keep moving forward into bigger and bigger sentences and paragraphs and books. Why would we think it's any different with learning the word of God? Yeah, it is a new language when you become a Christian, but he's given you the spirit so that you might understand. Do not give the enemy that power in your life to tell you you can't understand it. You can understand the Bible, every single one of you. You can pray. You can share the gospel. It's a lie. And of course he wants you to believe it because if you don't think you can understand this or you can understand me, you're out of the game. You're, you're ineffective. You have no sword in your hand to fight. It's a crock. Don't believe it. Some of you have. And it's made you lazy, passive. And maybe you need to repent of that. Because you believe Satan more than God. I can't do this. It's too hard. God's not a liar. Number two. Second accusation. What you do doesn't matter. What you do doesn't matter. And let me just speak to the ladies for a minute. <laughs> Whether it's what you do outside the home inside the home, the enemy would love for you to believe that what you're doing, it doesn't matter. It's not making any difference. God's not using me. Just the same thing every day. What's the point? That's a lie. And if I could guess, my guess would be it's easier to believe that lie for what you do inside the home rather than outside. Now, maybe it's both. I think easier in the routines and rhythms and the ordinary things that you're doing in the home every day. And I, this is one of the lies of secularism. That, that what, let's just, I'm just not saying men don't do anything in the home. I'm just saying, focusing on the ladies for a minute. That what you do in the home is pointless. It's unintelligent work. Uh, it's insignificant. The real significance is out there. Do not give that accusation power in your mind. Like just pick some things, okay? Washing dishes, doing laundry, cleaning up, uh, grandparents, parents, making sure your kids brush their teeth. This is fulfilling the great commandment. 
you're fulfilling the great commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus seemed to think that was a pretty big deal. Because if we don't care for our kids, how is that going to go? I mean, at a young age, they're not going to be able to stay alive. And then on from there, they need you. So whether you have a, a job outside the home or not, all of you have a huge job inside the home. You do. And that is exactly where Satan wants you discouraged. He wants you discouraged. He wants to destroy your relationship with your husband. Can I just, he wants to destroy it. He wants you bitter, resentful, angry, distant from your husband. That's his goal. He wants to destroy your kids, your relationship with them, uh, uh, their understanding of God and, and the gospel and the Bible. He wants your home filled with conflict and yelling and discouragement. He wants you weary of doing good. He wants you to give up. I know what Galatians 6 says, don't, don't be weary in doing good. Don't, don't give up because at due season you will reap. He's like, no, you won't. There's no good season coming. There's no fruit. It's pointless what you're doing. Everything you did was a joke. Do not give him that power. Do not give him that power. It's not true. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Anything that God calls you to. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's a fight with verses like that. Truth is, ladies, you have been given the privilege of being the most influential person in your husband's life. You are. You are. You read the Bible, you see that, for better or worse. You are. That's a tremendous privilege. Tremendous purpose. They listen to you. They pay attention to you. Even if they maybe act sometimes like they don't, you have a great influence in their life. You are raising mothers, grandmothers, the next generation of Christians, pastors, missionaries, Church members, elders, deacons, husbands, wives, mothers, fathers. That's who you're raising, the next generation. We need you in the fight, in the game. And you're setting a powerful culture in your home. I hope you know that. You're setting a powerful culture, and it can be good. It can be good. Filled with grace and love and praying, and playing, can be really good. It has such an impact. Every day, no matter how ordinary, how unimpressive, what you are doing matters in the kingdom of God. I need you to believe that. Number three, third accusation, you're missing out. Satan would say, you are missing out by being a Christian. God is holding out on you. You're missing out. This one is insidious. Some of you kids, young people, you're particular targets here. Um, Satan making the accusation that if you obey Jesus, if you follow him, you're missing out on the good life. You're missing out on fun. 
He tells you, isn't being a Christian boring? Isn't that boring? God's like the fun police and you're always under arrest. It's just not any fun. Like we can't do anything fun. I mean, if he gave you these desires, young people, why would he then deny you those desires? If you feel like you should do this and you want to do this, why would God say no? Isn't he, man, he is holding out on you. And in this case, the accusation isn't typically loud and discouraging. It's sweet. It's soothing. It tickles the ears. Lulling you to sleep with entertainment, comfort, wealth. Pornography feels good. Feels so good. It's hard to be a Christian. It's really hard. It's it's really hard to obey, isn't it? Just just enjoy yourself. Have a little fun. Why would God begrudge you that? Have a little fun. I, I, I know you thought of that person to have over and practice hospitality, but man, it's going to be so draining. It's going to be so draining. Just and there's the remote. It's right there. Four hours of TV is going to be a lot better. Shh. Shh. Just go to sleep. Just go to sleep. It's not loud. It's not brutal. He's not yelling at you. He's just whispering. He just wants to lull you to sleep. And Satan works different in different places of the world, and I think that's a big part of his game here. It's not throwing you in prison. It's getting you out of the game with wealth and comfort and entertainment, passivity. He's doing it to you. You know when I hear it? All your friends have that new iPhone. All your friends have that new tech thing. And mom and dad are holding out on you. Mom and dad don't love you. They don't love you. God doesn't love you. So guilt trip them into getting it. That's a lie of the enemy. It's the same one he uses on grown-ups. God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about you. He's holding out on you. So just, just drift. Just drift. So much easier to drift than to swim up the current. John 10.10, 10, the, the thief, the devil, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's his game. I came that you may have life. And have it abundantly. Satan knows God's way is better. Always. And he hates it. He hates it. And the truth is God is not holding out on you ever. Ever. So don't you believe it. Don't you give that power in your life. 
close here. War on Earth, part two. Last section. I can't spend much time, but let's read it. Verse 13, and when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. So he's pursuing you like a roaring lion prowling about, seeking someone to devour. He couldn't get to Jesus, couldn't devour him, so he's going to try to devour you. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness. That's where we are to the place where she, she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. So this time of testing that we're in between Jesus' comings. The serpent poured, out, poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, deception, to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. So God is protecting you spiritually. Then the dragon became furious with the woman, went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. And here's who we're talking about. Those who keep commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Look at how awesome this is. Satan cannot beat you. He harasses you, closer fellowship with Jesus. He persecutes you, closer fellowship with Jesus. He kills you, perfect fellowship with Jesus. That is awesome. So I just want you to go out today with a light heart. <laughs> you cannot lose in Jesus Christ. You are winning in Him because He has won for you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You for this good word today. It's just so encouraging that You pause and You tell us as we're in the fight, waging war, we feel it. Lord, even if we can't see it, we feel it. And I pray for my brothers and sisters, that they would go away today with a lighter heart. Burdens would be lifted. Anxiety would be quenched. That they would know you love them, you are for them. Nothing can separate them from your love. No charge will stick, even the ones that we make against ourselves. Because Jesus has died, Jesus has risen, Jesus is coming again. Help us to sing now, Lord, and be thankful that our hope is found in the blood. We pray in your name. Amen.